The question for us this morning is this. Should we hide our sin? Or in other words, is hiding our sin Christian? Uh, You might be here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Uh, You might want to ask, how do these Christians here deal with their sin and their wickedness? Or are these Christians, in fact, hypocrites? Uh, What is John's message? I wonder how you'd sum it all up. Uh, Would you ever write it like John did, I wonder? Uh, John takes just 11 words, as Anne so helpfully showed us. Um, Verse 5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that sentence is so simple, just the positive and the absolute negative. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And it is a beautiful summary of John's message, almost poetic. And light could mean a lot of things, but here it must mean at least two things, Uh, revelation and purity. Revelation and purity. Revelation, it is God's very nature to reveal himself, to shine himself, to show himself. As it is the nature of light to shine, when light is in a dark room, it just can't hide. It just can't do that. And what God reveals precisely is purity, moral perfection, blazing, pure, clean, sinless perfection. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we have Jesus, uh, the light of the whole world. Logically then, he's arrived. Uh, The world's darkness has gone, right? No. Uh, Because when I turn out the light uh, and I switch off the light in a room, the darkness just evaporates completely, right? That's what you'd expect. But no, look at chapter 2, verse 8. The darkness is passing away. In other words, the darkness is just fading out. The world still has many shadows and dark corners. Uh, It's less like modern bathrooms with 1,000 watt LED light bulbs, which instantly chase away every shadow from every single corner. And it's more like St. Peter's right now. Believe it or not, the lights are on. Um, But the dimness and the darkness is only fading away. And that is the reality of this world. And that reality frames this section. God is light, but the darkness is only fading away. And in this section framed by God being light, John deals with two issues, uh, sin and love. And this week we're dealing with the sin And next week, we'll address the love. And the darkness only fading is a very real tension for us in the world we live in today. It leaves us living in an in-between state. And this is where it can really bite for us. Uh, Let me explain what I mean. The world is anything but simple. Uh, People come into this wonderful fellowship. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, we saw it two weeks ago, fellowship with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and the apostles who knew him, and every Christian who has ever believed through the ages. Wow, what a fellowship. 
But the truth is, people also leave this wonderful fellowship. Uh, chapter 2, verse 19, the departed. William mentioned them last time as well. And that can be so challenging for us who are left behind. Am I still in? Is that the right way to go, the way of the departed? How do I know that I know God rightly in this fellowship? And when those of our fellowship leave, they don't normally go miles away, do they? They normally, at least at first, just take little steps away. They probably keep on calling themselves Christian. They probably keep on using lots of Christian language. And that is one of the reasons why it's so hard for those who are left. Uh, life is anything but simple. And it's sometimes not obvious who are the children of light and the children of darkness. Light has come, but the darkness is only fading away. And that was the reality for them then, and it's the same for us today. Uh, suddenly we can start to piece together why John wrote this letter and why he starts here. He's doing it all for reassurance. So that in their context and in ours, that we can know that they know God rightly. And we need to hear John very, very carefully because John is very precise in his writing. Uh, and just, we're going to just pause for a moment and say a brief word on John and how he writes. See, there are many out there who claim that John has no structure. It can feel like that at times, can't it? Uh, that he's a bit circular and maybe random. Uh, some say, and I quote here, that the bumbling old man John, pen in hand, had rambled on along an undefined path and in his old age had a lack of logical force, a tone of childlike feebleness, and an absolute indifference to strict logical developments of ideas. And at first glance, you can maybe kind of see where they're coming from. He's not written like Paul. But, frankly, it's so wrong, rude, and very patronizing. Uh, one writer who I totally agree with says this, uh, John has written one of the most closely articulated pieces in the New Testament, and that the style, simple and unpremeditated as it is, is singularly artistic. In other words, some people just can't appreciate good art. So let's dive into today, uh, today's art uh, to appreciate it and to feel the effects of the art on us. If we say, if we say, John is very direct. Uh, having reestablished his message with his hearers, verse 5, God is light. He launches straight into exposing the false teachers. Uh, look at verse 6. If we say. Verse 8. If we say. Verse 10, if we say, a trio of if we say. And the sense is, if we were to say, if we were to say. And do you spot the implication? The implied others? Uh, if we were to say, like they actually do say. 
Uh, John has somebody in mind who is saying this. Uh, some who are spreading rumors amongst the fellowship. Uh, the departed and their false teachers. Remember, darkness is fading. And John uses this, if we say trio, to drive his point home. And he uses trios a lot. Uh, there's another trio actually coming next week. Uh, John uses the slightly different formula. Um, whoever says, chapter 2, verse 4, 6, and 9, whoever says. Um, and the way it works is this. Uh, the first of any trio uh, normally act as the headline. And then the second and third, they unpack and color in the first saying. Uh, so, for example, I think the first statement for us, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, that's the one that the false teachers might have said uh, or maybe had a, would have agreed with. But as the cycle of the three progresses, so the false teachers and their wrong thinking gets exposed. Uh, notice how each, if we say, uh, defines things more tightly. It's beautifully written as it gradually exposes wrong thinking. And here is the point. The point is, if we were to say sin isn't sin, well, then we are in the dark. If we're to say sin isn't sin, then we're in the dark. The light has not come to us. Uh, look down with me. Let's see it. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship whilst walking in darkness, well, what does that mean? Uh, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, then we lie to ourselves. Why is that a problem? Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we end up turning God into a liar. So if we say sin isn't sin, uh, we are kidding ourselves and we're changing God. And that should really scare us. And this is important. Um, it always starts with diminishing sin, but it always ends with denying sin. That trajectory is what happened to the false teachers. And it's a slippery slope, which many have fallen down in the past. It starts with diminishing sin and ends with denying sin. I wonder, um, have your friends um, left the fellowship yet? Um, have you had people walk away from the light who maybe walked alongside you, who sang Christian songs with you, who prayed prayers with you, who read the Bible with you, who maybe even taught you the Bible, who then later walk away from the Lord Jesus. I think it is the most disorientating experience for any Christian. Has it happened to you yet? It's happened to me, and it's devastating, devastating. I'm not sure there is a more threatening thing to our assurance. Well, the, the darkness is fading, and until the darkness has gone, some will walk from the light, from our fellowship, to the dark. If we were to say, 
sin isn't sin, then there's great danger. And let's daydream for a moment together. Um, just imagine with me a ministry conversation with these false teachers. Uh, imagine the Christian, the walking in light Christian, uh, they come in and they're bawling their eyes out. I've sinned again. And so the false teacher leans over. Uh, dry your eyes. They're there. It doesn't matter. It happens. Uh, that sin isn't as bad as other sins. Have you seen some of the things that other people do? You're not that bad after all. Chin up. Sin isn't that big a deal. Let's just ignore that thing and brush it under the carpet. Come on now, be reassured. You're not all that bad. And notice the kind of veneer of assurance that the false teacher can give. Yet the not calling sin sin will cause them to walk in darkness. And where does that slippery slope end? The Christian person must call sin, sin. And it's worth saying, I think the Church of England are currently not doing this very well. Uh, they are scared of calling sin, sin. I was in a meeting not that long ago where this idea was literally laughed at. It was embarrassing. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. What does failing to call sin, sin do to the Christian person? Well, either they are sinning and it gives them false assurance, or others who are actually in the light begin to look on and wonder. And maybe sin isn't all that bad after all. Am I really doing the right thing over here by resisting sin? And worst of all, the whole thing makes God into a liar, verse 10. It's like taking God is light and making that light a, you know, tiny, pathetic tea light. Or worse still, switching the light off altogether. Why do you think John needed to write a letter of assurance? The departures leave the remaining Christians wondering. And here, I think, is the logic of the false teacher. This is the logic, I think. God is light. That means he's pure, he's sinless, he's perfect. All good so far, we can all agree. But what about us as children of light? Uh, we walk in light. So are we pure, sinless, and perfect, just like God is? As children, as God is light, uh, so are we? Uh, not just as an aspiration, but as a reality now. We are not just to, be, to want to be like that, but that is what we are now. Do you see the problem and the subtle but fatal misstep between the two? And in the bid to be like God, wonderful aim, by the way, being like God, wanting to be like that, but in that desire they preach a sinless perfection now for the Christian person. And there's the problem. That's the problem. Pretending like you're now not sinful. God is light. Uh, so am I. 
No, not, not in that sense you're not. To say that, you must start denying your sin. And what they miss is the purpose of the light. The purpose of the light is to expose us. Like when Anne shined that light up into that corner, it exposed every dark patch, every shadow. And of course, we want and we aim to not sin. But it's unrealistic to expect that of a Christian now. And get this wrong, you get the whole of God wrong. And you get your sin wrong. So you either make God a tea light, and that's not going to expose any sin, if that's your view of God. Or you try and sweep away the sin and hide the sin in some other way. And that was what Adam and Eve did in the garden, wasn't it? Hide away from God. But joyfully, wonderfully, as a Christian, we can say something totally different to that. We never need to say, sin isn't sin. No, if you're Christian, uh, we are to say, we are to say, we are forgiven sinners. Forgiven sinners. There's a place for every sin to be covered. There's a place of safety from God's pure, blazing, exposing light. Uh, look at the end of verse 7 with me. The blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice the all there. No sins left untouched. Then verse 9, God justly forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And notice the all again. And notice the fairness and the integrity that God maintains whilst perfectly cleaning us, justly forgiving. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's how he justly forgives. He's the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's a couple of technical terms in there. Advocate, that means to be a legal um, lawyer in a courtroom. Jesus stands up after every single sin you and I commit and says, not guilty, your honor, not guilty. Why? Because of propitiation. Propitiation speaks of the atoning sacrifice of, for our sins. It deals with the full wrath of the Father at your sin and mine. It removes the guilt entirely. It is how Jesus can declare to the Father with legal integrity, not guilty, not guilty. So the position of the Christian is one of hiding. We do hide, but hide not away from our sin like the false teacher does, but we hide under the cover that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are to say, we are forgiven sinners by the blood of the righteous one. See, we must be really careful. When it comes to sin, we must say, we don't want to. Uh, look at John 
in chapter 2, verse 1. He's really careful here to get this right. His purpose is that you may not sin. Stop sinning, he says. But the fact is we will. We are sinners. We can't escape that. So then what do you do? What do you do then? Hide in Jesus. Hide in him. Run into the arms of the God who forgives us. Confess our sins, knowing with confidence that our sins are perfectly, totally, and utterly covered by the righteous one. Do you see the logic? Let's go back through it. Start of verse 7. What does it mean to walk in the light and to have fellowship with one another? Well, verse 9 explains that. Confess our sins. And chapter 2, verse 1 further clarifies, don't sin. But if you do, go to the righteous one who shed his blood for you. Jesus never pretends that sin isn't real. And so neither should we. We are forgiven sinners. Jesus died to deal with sin without compromising his perfection and without pretending sin wasn't sin. So I think we can say, if you don't know you're a sinner, then you don't know God. Because God is light. That's what he does. If you don't know that the place for forgiveness is the cross, you also don't know God. Because Jesus is the propitiation for all your sins and mine. And that's why we confess every week when we're at church. That's why we do that. And we're going to do that after this talk. But it's worth just taking a moment to say what that moment definitely is not. It isn't us doing some special business with God. It isn't us saving up all our sins from the week and then dumping them um, on God. It's not a magic formula that tops you up every week. If you like, you don't stand any differently to God at 9.30 on a Sunday as you do at 11.30 on a Sunday. Nothing actually changes. Uh, We don't especially clear our debts to God on a Sunday. We do it because we need to say every week, loud and clear, who we are. Do you know what it says? It says we are forgiven sinners. We are forgiven sinners. That is who we are. We acknowledge our sins and we trust in the God who can forgive us. We are not flawless people and we're definitely, definitely not the better than everyone else people. And that is really healthy for us to do. And you remember how our confession goes that we say every week? For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Often in the newer confessions from the Church of England, uh, they actually leave out the cross and the work of the Lord Jesus. And there is a potential great danger to that. It's a slippery slope. We need to be careful. Let's never pretend like we aren't sinners. Uh, We need to become allergic to not calling sin, 
sin. Uh, here at the 10 a.m. amongst you lot, I think we're pretty good at not sweeping sin under the carpet. But do we ever give off an impression uh, that we are more sorted than we genuinely are? Uh, do we project facades? Do we give false impressions? Now, I definitely don't want to encourage oversharing and massive displays of confession to every other Christian here every week. But I do wonder if we should be really carefully considering what are we communicating to each other and to the watching world? Do they know, for example, I am a forgiven sinner? We are forgiven sinners. Does my Bible study group really know that about me? Does somebody I'm opening the Bible up with regularly know that about me? Or does my whole family, kids included, know that about me? Does my office know that about me? We are forgiven sinners. And there is great wisdom, actually, in not oversharing details. I'm certainly not going to sit down with lots of you um, and disclose every details of all my sins, although I do have somebody I do that with regularly. But I do want you to know that I am a rotten sinner, rotten to the core, but I am forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we are to say we are forgiven sinners. And so as we come into land, uh, let's just observe how very, very reassuring this is. It's John's clearly stated aim. At chapter 5, verse 13, just turn there and read this with me. John says, I write these things, his whole book, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. John wants them to know that they know God rightly. Uh, remember when Jesus prayed to the Father at John 17, verse 3. You can look it up later. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment as God, um, God the Son talks to God the Father. He says this. This is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you. That's eternal life. So do you really know that you know God personally, rightly, right now? I really, really hope so. Because Jesus died so that you could. Uh, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Uh, no need to hide. No need to diminish God to a tea light or to brush our sins under the carpet. Earlier, we imagined the ministry chat of the false teacher Let's now imagine the ministry chat of any Christian walking in the light. So one Christian approaches another who walks in the light and they're bawling their eyes out again. I've sinned again. And so the comforter says to the sinner, oh gosh, I'm really sorry. Sin is such a plague, isn't it? It's all over my life too. Isn't it difficult to live in a light? Whilst being in this dark world, the darkness is fading. 
Uh, we must kill our sins. We must because we are children of light, children of God. And do you know 1 John 1, verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Go to him. Uh, this sin you've just told me about, it's covered. Don't ignore it. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Uh, go to him. Go hide in Jesus. Go back to the cross, my brother, my sister. For I can offer you nothing but him. Christ's blood is enough. Christ's blood is enough. Don't go on sinning. You are clean. You are washed. We are forgiven sinners. Confess to Jesus, actually. Really, when somebody has sinned, what they need to do is go to have a ministry chat with the Lord Jesus, really. Remind themselves of his light. Uh, go to the one who is light and where in him there is no darkness at all. And do you know what Jesus will say to you? Trust in my blood. That's what he'll say. And he'll say, I alone can cleanse you. Don't pretend sin isn't real. I certainly don't. I died for it. You don't have to hide anymore. Just think of the confidence that you can have knowing God through Jesus, that we are forgiven sinners. And just think of the sorts of relationship that we'll have in this fellowship when we aren't basing it on fake facades, but on the blood of the Lord Jesus. Let me pray as we close. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Father, we thank you so much for the Apostle John telling us so clearly and so carefully about you. I thank you that he helps us be really sure that we know you and know you rightly. Uh, we pray today as we think more about our sin that we would never, ever try to hide it, to sweep it under the carpet, or to do anything with it that you wouldn't want us to do with it. Thank you that you are so honest with us, that you tell us what we're really like. Thank you that we are, and we can know that we are sinners, but that is not where we stop, that we can run and hide, and hide in the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much that we can find forgiveness perfectly, perfectly shed for us on the cross. Father, thank you so much that, that in you we can hide. And so I pray that we would. I pray that together as a family, we would say we are forgiven sinners. And we pray all these things, Father, for your great glory. Amen.